podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello, so it's still pre-season, but things are getting close now as we're three weeks to go to that all-consuming Game Week 1 kickoff. We're continuing our pre-season content today following the excellent podcast with Neil Murray last time out. It's worth looking back to that if you can on the unwritten rules of FPL. Total joy to record. And we're here with the first of two blockbuster analysis pods of all 20 Premier League teams. Of course, you'll be very happy to hear that it's not just me doing this. I'm joined today, uh, as always, by the slap in the face and admonishment to pull yourself together, man, uh, to my fuzzy cuddle and promises it will all be okay in Nick. Are you all right, mate? Yeah, not bad, thank you. Yeah, it's not just yourself doing a sort of solid monologue going through all 10 teams. New listeners, special hello. Go back to our Unwritten Rules pod and also our intro pod if you're interested to find out more about who we are, regular listeners. As always, Unbelievable Sport, happy to have you on board. We've done some recent work as well on talisman theory from Tom and psychology corner staff and over management. Uh, plenty of prospecting the prospects as well. So lots of WGTA content to get stuck into. If you're at a loose end, this week, it's the start of our analysis of the 20 teams, starting with Arsenal all the way to Liverpool today. And yeah, just to say who we are, we are Who Got The Assist. You can find us on Twitter at WGTA underscore FPL, online at whogottheassist.com. Listen to us and subscribe to us via any uh, good or bad pod site out there, such as Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, uh, uh, wherever you'd like. Uh, so today, obviously, is Teams, and we'll go through every team and every player of interest we possibly can of course we'll naturally miss some so sorry for that if you're the kind of person who's a massive fan of uh, Jürgen Lacadia for example we're going to start with team data and then go down to players uh, no definitive answers just data uh, these are of course long podcasts and we're going to edit it down as far as I possibly can I've done a lot of research and hopefully this can be really really useful unfortunately we've got to start with Arsenal here I might let you go first actually <laughs> So yeah, if we're going to talk about Arsenal, let's talk about their season last year. And it was, it was kind of a mixed bag, wasn't it, for them? It, was, it wasn't a great season, but uh, particularly I was actually um, surprised really by their struggles in the defence uh, more than the attack. And the defence was pretty damn poor, wasn't it, last year? Um, only eight clean sheets, uh, which was sort of the joint eighth worst in the league. Um, and uh, I mean, they were ninth best for goals conceded in comparison with 51. And historically, this is actually very unusual for Arsenal, was their lowest um, clean sheets uh, by five since 2011-12. So historically, they've always been pretty solid. They've had sort of 13 or so clean sheets. I think it was a couple of seasons ago, they had 18 as well, uh, when Hector Bellerin scored 172 points. That was back in 1516 wasn't a great season for them, but the attack actually is, is more interesting. When you look at the Arsenal players, uh, it's the forward line that most interests us compared to the defence in the midfield. What, what, what do you think about your club there then, Tom? Oh, God. Uh, comments rant. So, as a fan, I could actually go on a big rant here. Uh, but for me, I think the key factor is that I've never had that moment with, um, with Emery, like an epiphany where I say, yeah, I know where you're going here, Unai. It was very much a case for him, I think, of making oddball side that he inherited with elements of you know, the pragmatism that he has to fill the team most weeks. But decisions like Ozil on the wing and Gwendouzi being given the creative role um, perhaps meant that that pragmatism was outweighed by a lack of other options. And we, we've got a good start versus Newcastle and Burnley, so they may be being overlooked. I'm happier to leave us, really, Nick, to our good run between game weeks 5 and 16. We're only playing Man United in game week 7 in a run that takes in home matches against Villa, Bournemouth and Brighton. Like things, uh, I mean, you mentioned last year, it was obviously not, not the finish we wanted, but don't forget in the beginning we had a 20-match unbeaten run 
But the utter collapse at the end of the season, which we're remembering, it left a sour taste in mouths. And those stats were all okay. Like, we were actually the only team in the top six away who conceded more than the other home, for example. So clean sheets, yeah, is a real worry. And it's, it's not looking good back there at all, is it? Yeah, I think from a club perspective, obviously, there are a number of concerns. Um, as an Arsenal fan, obviously, you're very concerned about what's happening at the moment with the club, what the direction the club is going with, and what the, what the transfer window will bring in terms of any new signings, if anyone does join or what happens. But I think um, I, I look at Arsenal these days, and I think a lot of our listeners do, from a pure FPL perspective. And I think from an FPL perspective, um, if we if we look at the defence, because I think the offence actually was very strong. They were the third highest in the league with 73 goals, so just behind City and Liverpool. But from the from the defence, obviously we mentioned they, they didn't do very well last season, but could it have potentially just been a blip? Can they improve? They've obviously got some issues in the back line, likes of Kashilny, um had a falling out. Is that just a scratch, just a flesh wound maybe in terms of their uh, defensive barrier? They've got potentially holding coming in. A 4.5 million nailed on defender. That, that's quite exciting for managers from an FPL perspective to get a nailed on 4.5 central defender at Arsenal. And then, and then um, they've got Leno, of course, Burnt Leno, not Jay Leno, in goal. And he's, he's 5 million. And yeah. actually, when you compare him to the other goalkeepers at 5 million, you've got the likes of Foster, you've got Dupravka at the same price. Um, you, you, you kind of look at Arsenal goalkeeper 5 million, you think, is that, that's quite good value for money, isn't it, compared to some of the other goalkeepers out there? No, I think there's one good stat on this, which is Leno, uh, five errors leading to goal last season. Actually, we won the errors leading to goal stat last season with 13, which is more than the likes of Fulham, who conceded 30 more goals than we did. And you know what's really worrying, Nick? That's actually an improvement on last season where we made a ridiculous 15 errors leading to goal. Uh, Leno is the prime uh, culprit for this. Um, the perfect air to check. And um, I actually looked into these numbers and I found that Czech and Leno are numbers one and two goalkeepers making errors leading to goal ever. Well, since the stats begin in 2011 12. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, I think our back line is really, really losing stuff. I, I, I even prefer like the, the likes of Fabianski uh, to, to Leno at this point. And the save percentage was pretty decent, but apart from that, yeah, I'm not too interested. I mean, most of the defence, apart from Stuart Holding and maybe Ainsley Maitland Niles, who Adam Pritchard loves, belong in a skip, the likes of Mustafi. Definitely not. Kalasinac, um is probably one that was worth mentioning quickly. I mean, many of us fell for him in double game week last year. He had a lower number of crosses in the likes of Matt Lowton and Gaetan Bonk. Um, but I guess he had XGI in his favour. So he's just outside the top 10 for defenders, achieving the 5.06 was best to get, basically. He created 10 big chances, the same as like, Luis and Pereira, who are 6.0. But equally, he was just such a letdown for many people. I think that that's going to be, for 5.5, too much money. And then he's obviously got Kieran Tierney potentially coming in as well. Averages of six assists per season in the SPL. Like, could that mean that Glasnach is like condemned to the uh, UEL? Who knows? Yeah, I think obviously Kolasinac is one of the players I owned at the close season. He was completely terrible for me. So zero points and one points despite despite double game weeks. But yeah, I think my my last point, I guess, on the defence is I still feel like they were a little bit unlucky in terms of their clean sheet volumes. For instance, they only conceded two extra goals compared to Crystal Palace, but Crystal Palace managed 12 clean sheets compared to Arsenal's eight clean sheets. So, you know, it's quite a small difference between that eight clean sheet and 12 clean sheets in terms of FPL points, but in terms of actual goals, it was, it's very little. 
Uh, yeah, I, I know what you mean there, but on that, I think there's, there is one person who I would like the look of, which is fashionista, arc vegan, and perpetual mob annoyer, uh, Hector mm. Bellerin. Um, he only played the 17 games last season and then contributed five assists. And I think over the last three seasons, he's averaged 141 points per year, including that kind of high score season that you indexed. Generally good for about five assists. And he was basically an auxiliary winger. In 2017-18, he was second for chance to create for 10. Um, so I think that you know, at 5.5 Bellerin, once he's back in the team and integrated with the squad, he could be one to watch, especially if he drops down to you know, 5.4, 5.3, something like that. Yeah, definitely. I think he perhaps is the pick of the bunch in terms of that back line. Um, yeah, so he's 5.5. So a little bit more expensive than some of the other assets. But yeah, definitely got the highest potential and highest point seeding out of all of them. In the midfield, you've got the likes of Ozil and Mkhitaryan making 350 grand each week. Yeah, no, let's ignore that. And uh, in a football sense, uh, I rate the likes of uh, Iwobi, who was the highest Arsenal point scorer in midfield last season. Look it up. Um, I rate Torreira, who's 5.0, and Guendouzi in 4.5 and have glimpsed a possible doozy future in the football manager uh, when he's a really, really good player and said he expects to play a bit more next season. It comes to something really, doesn't it, when I'm recommending a 4.5 midfielder as the only midfield option for Arsenal. Yeah. And, you know, we've got Zaha, Chabelos, Fraser, all of these people being linked. And obviously, by the time Spock comes out, it's going to be completely outdated if someone's going to come in. But yeah, I think it's all about the strikers, isn't it? It's all Bamiyang versus Lacazette. Yeah, definitely. I think it's quite telling that despite the forward line being where all the money's tied up for Arsenal with Aubameyang costing 11 million, Lacazette costing 9.5 million, that they were still actually the uh, two best value players in the Arsenal team as per the value metrics that we've done. And uh, yeah, Aubameyang costs 11 million, as I said, Lacazette 9.5 million. You know, they were the source for all the goals, all the attacks from Arsenal, you know, dead your most dangerous assets by far. I think it's quite interesting that Aubameyang actually managed to score more than double than all the midfield picks. And with the opening fixtures of Newcastle away and Burnley at home, I really think they are actually flying under the radar in terms of a differential pick. Aubameyang was a joint top scorer last season in the league. He had the ridiculous 36 big chances last season. So he really should have put away a few more. But actually his, um, his goal conversion rate wasn't that bad, all things considering, with um uh, which was 23.4%. And that was only beaten by Glenn Murray in terms of active forwards. Yeah, certainly. Aubameyang, I absolutely hated last season because I backed him in such a big degree. As you remember, Nick, I mean, in game week one, I went with Aubameyang over Kuniguero. Yeah, that worked out well. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a curiosity in of itself, isn't it? Like, you know, the big chances um, number that you cited. Like, looking into it a bit more, he overshot his XG to begin with, fueled by those two braces off the bench and undershot it in the end. So the season was really a game of two halves. I'm not going to go into that too much. It creates a how long is a piece of string argument. But that might be a case, perhaps, to get him in early because he was so good earlier on. He was four for shots in the box on the strikers, but really accurate with those shots, your conversion rate. 41% of all shots were on target. Lacquer only had 63 shots in the box for comparison. Well, Bamiyang will always get the chance. He's got that kind of athletic, muscular movement to get there. Um, it's just those you know, 23 missed big chances last season, an astonishing 64% miss rate uh, for those high XG uh, moments. So Vardy in comparison, 33 big chances, 17 missed, so 49% in comparison. Lacquer is really the beta to Alba's alpha. Like It's a good thing he costs 1.5 million less. Like Alba beats him up across all measures. It's just whether we really want to look at Alba and think, oh, okay, he's, he's worth it. Got a really good run from game week five or six onwards, but I think he could be there. Um, and be our kind of holy hand grenade that we throw into our teams to make things better after initial slump. But it comes to something really when all I can really recommend is Gwendozi uh, as your second choice, 4.5 after Dion Donker. 
uh, from the Arsenal team. I think you can happily just leave them for the for the time being and then see what happens. So obviously, there's a good first few fixtures, but I, I don't think I'm really interested in them at all. Uh, Nick, are you interested in anybody from Arsenal? At the moment, I don't have any Arsenal coverage in my team. If it's um, clear that Holding's going to be nailed down, I might consider him as perhaps as a, a fifth defender in my team. Um, to spend sort of 0.5 more than Ben Gibson to get Rob Holding a nailed on Arsenal defender, it might be tempting for when the fixtures change. You know, I might be tempted to play him against the likes of Burnley at home in, in game week two, and it gives a really strong rotation pick. So he would be the one that I would be thinking about personally. However, I think from an FPL perspective, it is the forward line. Aubameyang, as you said, is the alpha, Lacquer's the beta. But, you know, Lacquer is still a really good option, I think, in terms of an FPL asset. He wasn't that far behind Aubameyang, really, in terms of the underlying stats. It's just it was unfortunate, really, that he just didn't convert as many. He only scored 13 goals compared to Aubameyang's 22, which was sort of the big, most important metric of them all. But I still think Lacquer, you know, if, if you want to get an Arsenal player and you're desperate for some reason, you can't afford Aubameyang, then Lacazette would definitely work as um, good coverage. Yeah, exactly. The old one-two there. Okay, uh, let's move on to the next team. It's Aston Villa. So Villa then, uh, things seem to have really changed when Dean Smith came in there last year. Like many Villa fans credit his impact on the team as a key conduit to promotion. They were pretty attacking last year. 701 attempts, 343 in the box, 86 goals scored, 64 uh, conceded though. That was the same as 21st place Millwall and 18th place Wigan. Uh, 1.67 goals per game, 1.31 conceded and they scored more at home. Worryingly conceded more at home as well. So 1.33 legacies at home uh, on average per game versus 1.08. Um, after Spurs um, in game week one, it's actually not too bad. Like the next four uh, comprise three home games, Bournemouth, Everton and West Ham. Uh, but I'm still sceptical. I'm leaning a bit on Adam Hopcroft here. Like there's a lot of turnover of the squad, but we've assertively been told on Twitter, haven't we, Nick? Um, when Nick caused the scene saying that Villa have a new Fulham. Um, Don't think that was me. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely aren't. And there's a good point from a football perspective, say that it's a blend of purchases, re-signing the likes of El Ghazi and Mings, young players with potential and target. Uh, Lucy Hynett was very happy with the amount of money they paid for him uh, shut up Wesley and concert and Trezeguet as well just today the Egyptian uh, has, has seems to have signed um, huge support for them of course uh, but I really think it's still watch and wait with them is that about right yeah I think so um, I don't think it's worth diving in and loading up on Villa players at all to be honest I mean like I said um, we've we talked about Villa perhaps doing a repeat uh, Fulham though there's obviously been scathing criticism from people in regards to that idea and also an interesting article uh, by Martin Loris from who scored on the Guardian who highlighted the difference between Fulham's spewing of money on deadline day where they signed five players versus Aston Villa's more thought-out purchases. But, um, you know, I mean, obviously Mings and Target, they weren't fitting in at Bournemouth and Southampton. So those guys are coming in. It's sort of second-string defenders from those clubs to Villa. You know, the links with Tom Heaton in goal, I think he would be a fantastic signing if they are able to secure him as a goalkeeper. He perhaps a, a potential way in if, you, if you're interested in covering Aston Villa. But, yeah, with their opening fixtures, Spurs away. We'll see how they get on and, and, and assess from there. Um, especially in terms of the defence. Moving forward to the midfield, it's kind of this whole McGinn-Grealish uh, uh, sort of debate and McGinn got the uh, cheaper price despite scoring more goals and assists in, in the championship. But um, Grealish is obviously the uh, the famous name and perhaps the more exciting option. No, uh, I know you and your prospecting prospects, Tom, you sort of compared him to uh, how Sessanon and Anthony Knockhart got on in the championship, both scoring 15 compared to Grealish only scoring six. Um, and both of those players really struggled in the uh, Premier League in their opening season. 
admittedly from the voice of Villa fans, like they see Grealish as being their talisman for obvious reasons and think that he actually is more suited to the Premier League than he was to the Championship because he just used to get cut down by defenders straight away. Uh, whereas it, it may be that he gets more space. 15 goals and 16 assists career, four goals and seven assists last season, his best returns ever. Like, um, you, you've got to take that with a pinch of salt and to kind of see what happens with him rather than buying him in. I suspect that's not going to hurt you too much as well because I think it will, it will only be like kind of diehard Villa fans who have him in from day one. Created seven, six chances last season despite limited game time. Injury is another worry with him and took 24 shots in the box. So he's basically like a, a beta version of James Madison. He creates a lot and takes a lot of shots. 120 points, I think I said in the perspective in the process. So he uh, is, is what I'm expecting. And Adam Hopcroft said to me as well that he expects that he may step up to take pens as the club captain. And um, there's a few other options as well. And um, there's Hurricane. Um, I know him foot manager very, very well. Uh, he's a box box midfielder. Six goals, eight assists last season. Takes a lot of shots from outside the box. 67 of his 85 shots, 78% were from there. Uh, Gun set piece as well. And he performed 51 key passes last season. You've got Hota from Birmingham who scored 164 points last season. He's pretty decent three goals and 11 assists and McGinn as well um seven goals and nine assists but a yellow card machine 14 so maybe Hurahan at 6.0 maybe a good counterpart to Grealish as well it's just a case of seeing who emerges play attacking football under uh, Dean Smith and uh, there may be a time when Villa players do come into the equation yeah, definitely. I think um, a lot depends on sort of Wesley. I guess he's the sort of six million option in the in the front line. He's either going to be the holy hand grenade in the Villa attack or just be a dead parrot. We'll, we'll have to see for now. But in the uh, Upla Pro League in in Belgium, sort of seventy six appearances, nineteen goals, thirteen assists. It's it's not amazing stats, but they're just going to have to hope that the twenty um, two year old can do what uh, Ben Teke did for them historically. I mean, they they signed him for twenty two million, and Dean Smith has been very positive about Wesley. He said. He's got that little bit of panache and scores all kinds of goals from outside the box, two yards, tap-ins. He's got everything about him. So I think um, Dean Smith's obviously a huge fan of Wesley, but I think uh, Villa's success will ride quite heavily on um, whether he can deliver in the Premier League or not next season. Yeah, certainly. And you know, up front, that void that he's got to fill, like Tammy Abraham repeating his smash the championship shtick. Uh, previously seen at Bristol City, uh, 25 goals on all he scored. As you mentioned, Benteke was the last man Aston Villa signed from the Belgian league, um, which meant we didn't know prospects and prospects because it is the Belgian league. Same with Troussard at uh, Brighton. But uh, Benteke in his first season got 19 goals and got four assists uh, in 2012 13 uh, in the Premier League. Uh, so if the circumstances are the same and he's. Uh, Got that ability. Uh, Tyrone Mings also said that he's got his work cut out in inverted commas, keeping up with the muscular Brazilian in training. Um, there may be something there at 6.0 that may offer an option, but it's one to watch and wait. We don't want to fresh the vast straight away and go with Villa. I think the word here, if we're asking, are we interested in them is to watch and wait, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So um, are you happy to move on to Brighton then, Tom? Yes. Okay, so yeah, moving on to Brighton, uh, sort of another club that perhaps we're, we're not heavily loading on at this moment in time. Obviously, they've uh, sacked their manager, Chris Hewton, and they've brought in Graham Potter from Swansea. So we're looking to see what magic he's going to weave over the course of the season. Um, I think Brighton last season, they, they really did struggle and they were very close actually to relegation in the end. They um, conceded 60 goals, which is sort of seventh worst in the league. Um, and in terms of their goal attacking output, it was absolutely terrible. They were the second lowest goal attack of 371 and with only 35 goals that was the worst for all clubs that didn't get relegated there really was very little attacking output they relied quite heavily on, on Glenn Murray and also Shane Duffy surprisingly for the uh, for the goals didn't they 
I think with Brighton as well with Burnley, we're going to speak about later on. I think it's a case of throwing away the last season and starting afresh. I mean, with Potter, it's crucial that he does something uh, very quickly there. But at Swansea, we may have some clues to the sort of manager he's going to be. Like despite finishing tenth last season in the Championship, they were seventh for shots on target, uh, more than eventually promoted Sheffield United actually. And he's a very competent manager, it seems. Potter, he's gone a long way round, obviously to Swansea uh, last season were in absolute dire straits. So they received forty million pounds plus in revenues, uh, but only spent five million on young prospects like Bertrand Chelina uh, from Man City and Joel Lasoro, both are very young players. And he can develop players as well. So the likes of Ollie McBurney uh, came on leaps and bounds. That guy scored twenty-two goals. Unfortunately, I find it objectively very hard to get excited about Brighton, uh, despite the okay start of Watford, West Ham, Southampton, City, and Burnley. Um, as you mentioned, 60 goals conceded last year, 54 the year before. So they're always going to be those perennial strugglers. And uh, Swansea last year, actually, were very poor at defending set pieces and aerial balls. So maybe Dunk and Duffy are going to be those guys who are going to sort it out. Well, Dunk, maybe, if uh, who knows if he's going to go to Leicester or not, probably not. And Duffy definitely are both going to be there. Duffy was third on clearances, blocks, interceptions last year, which shows how important he is in repelling attacks from that defence. And Dunk also there, uh, 277 in the top 10. But Matt Ryan has been appearing in a lot of teams recently because of the king and air thing going on with, with Button. So I guess it's a good place to start. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, Ryan really combines quite well with Button for sort of 4.5 million or sort of 4.0 million goalkeeper. Brighton, obviously, as I mentioned, is sort of a team that sort of had a lot of cold attempts against them. So plenty of opportunities there for, for saves for Ryan. He's got two, you know, very important beaters in front of him, Duncan Duffy, if they lose dunk then it does remain a little bit of a concern for Potter and Brighton because of obviously um, you know just sort of backup option Balogun uh, not being particularly impressive I think out of the sort of 4.5 million goalkeepers out there Ryan is certainly um, a really good choice if you're looking for sort of a value uh, goalkeeper yeah, certainly. He's an option. Um, I, I did have a look at the goalkeeping stats, which is a, a road less travelled by many. Um, and he actually conceded three more goals than he was expected to last season. Whoops. Uh, 98 saves as well. All right. Yeah, but not great. Six clean sheets makes me really worry for Ryan. Like, as you mentioned, Dunk, if it's not him, then Clark from Pompey, a new signing in Balogun, your man from last time we did this pod, um, are in there. But I don't know. It, Duffy, I guess, due to the talisman stuff, is worth looking at. But I haven't got really got much interest in defence. Do you? Like, I think I think we should move forward to the midfield. Yeah, exactly. We'll just have to rely on Potter casting some defensive charms uh, to try and secure that back line next season. But I think in the midfield, uh, they've obviously lost uh, Knockart um, to Fulham, and uh, you know that's uh, potentially a blow to them. Not perhaps considering Knockhart's very mercurial performance in the Premier League over the last couple of seasons. And they have signed, um, who you mentioned briefly earlier, Trossard um, from the Belgian League. Um, he cost £6 million in FPL. It's very similar to sort of Wesley. I sort of looked at his sort of stats in the Upola Pro League. He's sort of 85 appearances, 24 goals and, and 14 assists. And like Wesley, it'll be very interesting to see how he adapts to the much tougher pace of the Premier League. You mentioned Benteke being sort of a previous alumni that succeeded in the Premier League after coming from the Belgian League. There have also been other fails such as Laurent de Proccia, who did very well in the Belgian league and obviously suffers quite heavily when uh, he was in my zombie team last season for Huddersfield. Oh, 
yeah, I remember you kept going off the bench, didn't you? And you kept doing absolutely nothing. The only one I think we could probably highlight is Pascal Gross. A slight downgrade at 6.5 this year. Um, 164 points in his first year in the Premier League. Seven goals, eight assists and bonus galore, including a famous three-pointer at Old Trafford. Last season, despite only playing 25 games, Gross created more than any Brighton player. 54 level with likes of Pogba. And he underachieved his XGI as well. So he uh, actually was involved in six returns, but he should have been involved in at least nine. I mean, he created 86 chances in that first season when, in the Premier League when he was famously part of our talisman theory. And the year before, when he came from relegated Ingolstadt in Germany, he created more chances that year for a relegated team, the Messer Ötzel, who was then not a laughing stock, did in the Premier League. You've got likes of Jakambash as well, is Kiedo. Like all of these sort of like flair wingers um, who have been at Brighton and not really done anything. But you know, we rogue are, and our contributor sent me a few stats bomb articles which showed that they were all kind of based on analytics and uh, analytic FPL Simon and um, he also points out Basuma is also part of their kind of analytic strategy under Dan Ashworth so maybe it was you know, a stats bomb said this maybe it was Hooten's uh, conservatism which meant that Dan Ashworth's kind of more analytic stuff wasn't quite worked in but I mean we'll have to see moving forward to the attack the old warhorse Glenn Murray and a few people have been saying about him as a 6.0 but is he a herring Nick? Well, to be honest, actually, I mean, last season he did manage to score 13 goals somehow, which is a bit of a surprise because I can't seem to remember a single one of them actually happening. But that's the same output as Jimenez and Lacazette. They both all scored 13 goals. And then the season before as well, Murray managed 12. So if he can get that sort of output for a sort of £6 million pounds forward you, you don't really tend to expect much more than that do you I mean Murray he's obviously a decent pick he's probably one of the better picks in that Brighton side yeah he's obviously um, a relatively limited player and he is aging as you said I think he's what, 35 now or something so you have to wonder if his minutes are going to be managed and if we're going to see the likes of a uh, sort of Lacadia who we said we weren't going to mention and, and Florin Andone perhaps getting more minutes and Murray being rotated a little bit I'm glad you said Andone, Nick. I need to mention him. 5.0. Never been too prolific. His best record is 12 goals and 37 appearances for Deportivo in 2016-17. But if he starts and takes the mantle, Lacadio, I think, is more of a winger, let's be fair. As long as he's scoring at that rate, he did Deportivo a goal every three games. He could be hot value at 5.0. But I think that Mari, like the old warhorse, is worth a little bit of a look, isn't he? Like um, early season. I wouldn't be too negative about that because if he's looking like he's starting in preseason, like he doesn't have to be mobile. He hasn't been mobile for a few years now, and he's still knocking them away. He's like a, a poor man's Jamie Vardy almost because he's able to knock them away with a few chances. We'll have to see what happens, obviously, in the transfer window there with Brighton. But I think it's fair to say, from my part. Um, I'm only really interested in maybe Matt Ryan if I want to have a set and forget keeper sort of thing going on, but I don't think he's actually a regular goalkeeper. Maybe uh, Murray if uh, if I want a 6.0 punt because their start of the season actually isn't too bad. Yeah, exactly. I know obviously you're a fan of Pascal Gross who you mentioned earlier as, um, as well and he was in your team sort of last season, but yeah, I think I think that's it really for Brighton assets. We're, we're not going to go too close to them, especially after last season. Just see how Potter does. We're going to take a quick break there and after the break we're going to be moving on to Bournemouth. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello, so we're back and it's uh, time to look at the cherries, Nick. It's time to look at Bournemouth. Defensively, I think we should start and say forget it. Howe has definitely changed tactics in the past. He's been following the gourd towards being more defensive in those games, but they haven't been able to keep solid and the 14th play finish uh, perhaps reflects their true status. 
61 goals conceded in 2017-18, up again to 70 last year, and a real home away split again. So at home they were they were better. They were be- they were definitely better at Dean Court. So 1.58 goals per game, uh, conceding 1.32. Uh, but away from home, they scored 1.37 and conceded on average a stonking 2.37, uh, which goes to show that defending really was optional for these guys. Uh, they finished with a goal difference of minus 13. Uh, they didn't actually concede that many shots on target, um, 173, uh, two more than United and uh, two less than Southampton, so mid-table. But can we trust them? No. I mean, in goal as well, Nick. I mean, you've got the likes of Begovic, haven't you, who conceded the joint most errors leading to goal alongside mm. Leno last season. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see who their first choice goalkeeper is. Uh, Begovic and Boric uh, were pretty terrible season, weren't they? But then um, we saw young Mark Travers uh, get his debut. And of course, he was fantastically solid against Spurs when we played him in, in the closed season. So uh, he could potentially be a young goalkeeper who, who gets nailed on. But yeah, like you said, defensively, Bournemouth were pretty damn terrible um, last season, conceding 70 goals. That was sort of third worst in the league, uh, more than the likes of Cardiff, who obviously got relegated. So, uh, yeah, pretty shocking. I think they do have a competent defender in Nathan Ake, where he's far too expensive at five million for us to consider him, considering Bournemouth's poor form in defence. And then you've got the likes of Smith, who I've seen in a few drafts, 4.5, and um, Enrico, maybe 4.0 if he's nailed on, but it doesn't seem like he is. So, be uh, one to sort of watch there, perhaps. Yeah, with Adam Smith to answer, let's talk FPL Andy's uh, constant joke. Adam Smith is never the answer. Like damningly last season, uh, Rico made more crosses than Smith. He made the most crosses of any Bournemouth defender with 39 in just 12 appearances. Uh, so it's a case of just ignoring that Bournemouth defender altogether. I mean, if 5.0 Ake gets to Man City, he's left footed. If Laporte's injured, then Ake's the man to buy. But other than that, just ignore. Um, but last season... I mean, they did start strong. So the first 10 games last season, they won six, drew two and lost two and scored in seven of those 10 games. And they had one big team in that run, uh, Chelsea, who they lost to. Uh, this year, they've got two, but similar schedule, especially with the two newly promoted sides at the beginning means we should be looking at them. And I think that, um, although it's a big pronouncement, I think that one, at least, is probably essential, isn't it, Nick, in, in the early kind of stages? And I, I guess the midfielders, uh, Brooks and Fraser, are where we should start here. So, yeah, like we said, the defence is a bit of a write-off, but Bournemouth have some fantastic fixtures and they're really attacking last season. Looking at their first seven fixtures, they play Manchester City in game week three, which is obviously a tough fixture, but other than that, they play Sheffield United, Villa, Leicester, Everton, Southampton, West Ham. Some really tasty fixtures there. And the, the midfield, if we start there... Um, with Brooks and Fraser, I was a bit disappointed about Brooks' price in the end. I thought he was going to be a, a kindly 5.5, but they um, upped his price. So I think uh, for me, out of the two, I think Ryan Fraser perhaps would be the one that I'd strongly consider. Um, he was sort of third for chances created of all midfielders with 92. And uh, it was this big chances created um, stat that was really damn impressive last season with 28 big chances created, causing 14 assists, which was second only to Eden Hazard. Yeah, certainly. He created 11 of those, Nick, in his first 10 games. So just going to show how quick he starts. So he also uh, smashed in an astonishing 271 crosses last season, more than any other player. And he's well worth the 2.0 rise um, from seven goals, 14 assists and 181 points was his haul. I agree with you on Brooks. I wish it was a bit cheap. But Fraser, is he worth 1.0? Probably. Like He was the runaway hero of the value um, analysis that I've done. 
you know, last season at 5.5, Fraser was an absolute steal for 180 plus points. That's ridiculous. At 7.5, that's still pretty damn good. Fraser beat the likes of Luca Dean. He beat the likes of Sardou Mane. He beat the likes of Gilfie Sigurdsson and beat the likes of Kepper um, as being a value option in FPL because of how cheap he was. And this year as well, but at 7.5, that's pretty decent with those two very, very strong starts in games. As you mentioned, like the creativity is ridiculous. And he also offers goal threat. Um, and he can get you double digits whenever it looks like he's going to stay there for the rest of his uh, year on the contracts and I think that he's definitely worth it but you've obviously got those two strikers there haven't you Nick and not Solanke don't get him he must be good in training or something I'm not sure why he was filled over Calvert-Lewin by Brief on 21s for example and Mousset has been pushed out he's at yeah, Sheffield United 5.0 but I just don't see what Solanke is for um, but it's all about King versus Wilson I think isn't it Nick and uh, I think we all started off thinking yeah it's definitely King because of the hell of a price differential but now we're looking at maybe Wilson again a little bit too after the talisman work and other work for example done by uh, Will from Basketball Hub yeah, I think for me, uh, but when it comes between Wilson and King, you might disagree um, with myself, but I'm still very strongly in, in the King camp. I think the 1.5 million difference between Wilson and King just isn't worth the outlay. I mean, we, we look at like King's supposedly on penalties, uh, but we, I know Wilson outscored um, King by 27 points last season, but he actually only scored two more goals. Um, it, was the, it was the assist that sort of made the difference between their points outlay last season. Wilson managed to get nine assists, but versus King's free. But when I actually looked at the chances created stats between King and Wilson, King actually created more chances than Wilson. He sort of King had 34 compared to Wilson's 30, but Wilson sort of had 13 big chances, which is sort of the joint highest for forwards. But King actually wasn't that far behind either with 10 big chances in third. So I think the reality is like the sort of the assist gap was more pronounced in terms of the points that it ended generating with sort of nine assists for Wilson versus King's three. And um, I think that's a bit unfortunate for King in the end of the day. It was just quite unlucky that the chances he created didn't end up being goals in comparison to the chances that Wilson created. So that's why I kind of thought, oh, you know, there's this 1.5 million difference between these guys. But in reality, I think they're actually a lot closer in terms of their potential points output. Yeah, certainly. In terms of the value analysis, uh, King is not too far from Wilson. There's 0.49 points per million if we factor in appearance as part of that. Um, But of the 12 goals by King, five were penalties and one was from a set piece. So that means that half his output was from dead balls um, and in high HG situations, which throws off a lot of the data that a lot of people have cited. As you mentioned, obviously, it was the assists that made the difference and uh, the value that makes the difference in King's favour. But in terms of the stats, in terms of his talisman status, Wilson is uh, looking like for that 1.5 million, there could be a case for him. At the start of last season, uh, five goals and five assists for Wilson versus four goals and four assists for King. And King only actually contributed uh, in game week three. It's one of those things isn't it where actually I can see your point of view like value is definitely resting with King and that 1.5 million that can turn a Tarkovsky into a Laporte it's definitely worth it the judgment probably is that Wilson can hit a level that King can't hit but the reality is that Josh King is going to score in game week one, isn't he? Uh, it's disappointment worse known as. I, I kind of also think that um, Ryan Fraser, um, for a lot of the uh, the work that we've done, the value work, for example, might be good as a kind of KDB-esque compromise at 7.5. 
I think Fraser again, he looks obviously much better value than Wilson too. I think just for me, Wilson is perhaps a little bit too much, a little bit too expensive, and I'd prefer um, either Fraser or King if I was covering Bournemouth. But um, we'll move on now. We'll um, we'll go on to Burnley, another team where perhaps uh, we're not going to focus too much on the defence and you know the merits of uh, Taco versus me. Um, there are rumours as well at the moment um, with Taco supposedly. Um, being linked with Leicester to, to fill the gap of um, Maguire. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens there. With Ben Gibson perhaps becoming a nailed-on 4 million defender, which would be very exciting for us managers, like a cheap 4 million. In terms of goal attempts conceded, they were the worst of all the uh, Premier League teams last season. So they conceded a lot of goals. But I think a lot of people are obviously very interested in the goalkeeper position. And um, if Heaton moves, um, then it could be a Nick Pope that I've seen in you know loads and loads of teams. So yeah, what, what do you think of Burnley and the starting with their defence, I guess? Straight off the bat, I'm less interested in last season's data with them than maybe any other side, like maybe Brighton to some extent. The UEL and the small squad was the key reason why they really suffered. Um, and they conceded more goals home and away. 68 conceded in total, which is just one less than Cardiff. But this was a massive jump. So the year before, they only conceded 38 goals, 30 more goals as a result of probably players being knackered by the UEL. They actually scored more goals last season, but their goals per match basically doubled last year. And it could be the Joe Hart effect, you know, a player who should be in the MLS rather than anyone near a Premier League football pitch. But I think they're just too tired to execute the rigid Daesh game plan. They've been so good in the past that I'm willing to give them a pass. Things like the defensive stats that you mentioned are more of an anomaly. So, for example, the 84 big chances conceded is more in the 50s normally. And uh, yeah, the goalkeepers, obviously, it's Hope, Heaton, Hart, Pope, he signed a new contract. Heaton being linked elsewhere, like Villa, and hasn't signed one, and Hart should be in the bin. And in 2017-18, it should be mentioned, the Pope was an absolute legend. 11 clean sheets, 113 saves, 152 points. He developed scored Lloris, Fabianski, and Kepa this year by that measure. And as soon as I saw him at 4.5 million, I bookmarked him. I think he's a pretty good goalkeeper at that price. So his XG prevented in 2017-18 was just 1.4 lower than David De Gea's. And he actually stopped around four more expected goals than the United man. Um, he's a very, very good goalkeeper. Got a kind of level of uh, Fabianski in terms of saves. So we didn't have Tom Heaton's data back in the day, 2016-17, when he also kept uh, 10 clean sheets and got over the 150-point threshold. But at 4.5 million, it's a rarity that they're so cheap. And they also get bonus as well because a lot of the players, like Tarko, me, who you mentioned, Ward, um, who actually hit 5.4 million one year, Nick, mm-hmm. uh, if you remember him. Those players just whack it away. They're CBI specialists, which means the goalkeeper for passing it to a defender to whack away way uh, tends to get more bonus so yeah that defense is definitely worth looking at moving forward to the field I guess McNeil uh, we talked a bit about McNeil I guess in the pre-season before the prices were announced they were like oh he could be a really good pick as a cheap pick at 5 million or 5.5 when we saw the 6 million we were a bit like oh, for god's sake why did they price him up I mean he only managed to score three goals over the course of the season so it's not massive output but yeah we got priced up to 6 million which completely puts us off him I think in terms of the Burnley midfield there's not much to talk about really at all I mean there's likes of Goodmanson he had the most goal attempts um, of all the Burnley midfielders with 33 but still less than the likes of Mayo at Crystal Palace, Stanislas at Bournemouth and MacArthur at Crystal Palace and even Hoylet at Cardiff. So, you know, there's very little going on there, very little attacking options. McNeil is obviously quite an exciting young player, but, you know, like I said, six million, we really need to see a little bit more from him in terms of attacking output before we actually consider him as an FPL asset. I think it's more the front line that 
perhaps there's a little bit more interest in um, in the wooden barns um, at 6.5 million. Uh, I mean, it was all about them, I think, until J-Rod came back. But Burnley fans like FPL Claret and Turfy Topper seem to think it will remain that way. Wood was actually the talisman last season at appearance point removed, but not, but not by much. Uh, 1.16% separated the two. But looking at last season's data, which I will use for the attackers, the XG for number one Austrian striker, Ashley Barnes, was just incredible. It's a non-pen XG of 12.25. In comparison, Wood had 6.15 open play XG. Just to place Barnes' numbers in context, in the second half of the season, his XGI was higher than the likes of Jamie Vardy, Raul Jimenez, Alex Lacazette, Callum Wilson and Marcus Rashford. What a hero. Barnes had more shots and created more chance than Wood on average. And uh, yeah, even though the fixtures are quite mere, Southampton, Arsenal, Wolves and Liverpool were the first four. Those numbers are crazy, aren't they? And could be worth a punt. Wow, basically. Yeah, and I think um, come game week five, actually, they've got a really nice run of fixtures. Brighton away, Norwich at home, Villa away, Everton at home, Leicester away. I mean, the first four are quite nice, at least. And uh, with Barnes, he, he's certainly an option. He, he got 12 goals um, last season with three assists. And, uh, you know, he, he fits in quite nicely into that third striker bracket. I mean, we're, we're not saying he's the messiah. Perhaps he's just a very naughty boy. But I actually looked at you know, Barnes versus King, because King's obviously a guy that's in a lot of teams. And I looked at the ownership stats, actually. And I know we don't like to talk about ownership um, this sort of stage of the season when it's a few weeks before it actually starts. But King currently has an ownership of 20.7%, compared to Barnes' only 0.9%, which is actually less than the likes of success and Khadija. So he's really getting ignored at the moment. But in terms of the stats between Josh King and... um, Ashley Barnes, they actually had really similar levels of numbers last season. Sort of Barnes had 30 goal attempts on target, for instance, compared to King's 23. King had sort of 72 shots compared to Barnes' 65. So Barnes perhaps has the superior stats in some metrics. And uh, yeah, really sort of flying under the raid and getting ignored at this moment in time by most FPL managers, for sure. Yeah, it just seems like a Nick Pope, maybe Charlie Taylor at 4.5 at the back are the ones that people are looking at. But I think Barnes could be very interesting, even though the early fixes aren't that great. I think he could really do a job for you at 6.5. Okay, let's move on to Chelsea then, Nick. And actually, before we get into it, um, I had a chat uh, very recently with at FPL Physio Tom about the side he supports Chelsea and what his views are about how his team will do next year. Hey, Tom, how are you doing? I'm not bad, thanks. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. But talk to me quickly, Tom, about the Blues and what do you think is going to happen this year with the transfer ban? How do you rate your chances with that? It's interesting with Frank obviously taking over. It's a good move for him to come in. Obviously, a divided fan base last year. We need that like Klopp pep effect with the fans, get the fans back on side. I think we'll be challenging for fourth this year with you and Man United. Yeah. I can't see us catching Liverpool or City and I think Spurs are a bit unpredictable. Yeah, so this is a bit of a sad state of affairs, isn't it? When we were all aiming for four, yeah. we know that um, yeah. first, the top two are way out of it. And then third, yeah, probably going to be Spurs, as, sad, as much as it saddens me. Uh, St. Tottenham is <laughs> not going to come around for a long time. So in FPL then, I, I guess all eyes are on the hazard replacement. Pulisic's been signed, you've got Willian. I guess you've got the strikers as well, um, quite kindly priced. I mean, Giroud is 7.0. And, and I guess by the time this actually goes out, we'll perhaps know what Tammy Abraham's and the natural eye perhaps going to be. Uh, but how do you think that's going to shake out in FPL? Like, who are you going to be looking at for Chelsea? Well, yeah, replacing Hazard's not going to be easy. I think everyone's going to have to step up. I think the first name that stands out is Willian. Because when Hazard had that off year with Jose, he did step up. And I think all four wingers are going to have a big role to play this year. Pulisic, I mean, he's been in good form for the US, getting some goals and assists. 
But I think we can look at Chelsea for the first two game weeks, United and Leicester. And then after that, they got promoted sides and then a good run. I think they only play Liverpool up to game week 14. So yeah, I, th- I think to watch them for the first two weeks and pre-season, obviously, see how they set up. I mean, we haven't mentioned the mean defence either, but surely they're going to churn out points. Yeah, I think, you know, 15 clean sheets is probably what we're looking at. The last two years, I think it's 15 and 16. I think Aspilicueta at six stood out because I think he will play probably 37, 38 games. And he got six assists last year playing at right back. He always gets points. I think Jorginho at five, if he's on penalties. I don't know if he's going to start, if I'm honest. Could be Willian as well. I think him and Pulisic will start the season. Although I think Hudson-Odoi, when he comes back at six, looks really good. Same with Loftus-Cheek at 6-5. When they come back, I think they'll be mainstays in the side. And obviously the striker, quite similarly priced. Whichever one of them gets the number one. I mean, a top six striker at 7 million. What's not to love about that? Yeah, certainly a mouth-watering. And a final question for you quickly, Tom. I've got a little feeling that Ross Barkley is going to be a force to be reckoned with this year. He was a box-to-box player at Everton and he really flourished for a couple of seasons. And I, I just wonder whether Lampard's going to see something of himself perhaps in Barkley and uh, really put some trust in the Englishman. Like, what do you think about that? Actually, funnily enough, I did have him in a draft the other day because I saw his price at six and it just fitted in nicely. Having watched tactical videos, Lampard plays with a, th- a three with the defensive mid and then two attacking midfielders. And I think to start the season, it could well be him and Mason Mount. And yeah, I mean, if he's in that team, then because of Hazard not being there, he's going to need to contribute. And maybe Lampard can bring out the best in him. There's no one better to teach a midfielder how to score goals. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when he was at Everton, um, you know, back in the day, hopefully something there. But yeah, Mason Mount as well will be very interesting when he's added. All right. uh, Thanks for that, Tom. Really, really interesting. Thanks for coming on. And we'll try to have you on for a full pod later on in the year. Yeah, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Good to make my podcasting debut. Cheers. Great cameo. So that was really interesting, wasn't it, Nick? Just hear about Tom's views. Chelsea. So on the overall level, they scored 1.57 goals at home, conceded 0.84. And the way they actually scored 1.68 goals per match and conceded 1.16. So 63 goals, six from top, first and nine conceded, fourth from bottom, conceded the least three shots in the box, thirdly shots on target, and fourth these big chances. Really scary numbers, I think, in terms of the defence to be overlooking in the upcoming period. And I think a lot of us, with our big at the backs, have still managed to exclude a Chelsea player from that, including myself, actually. But their defence is very settled and with no outgoings because of the transfer bound of Lampard. I think that, that defence is probably the first place to look for Chelsea, isn't it? And that's been backed up by the value analysis. Yeah, definitely. I think um, defensively, they've always remained solid. And last season was no exception. We saw 16 clean sheets. They were just behind City and Liverpool, um, 20 and 21 respectively. And uh, 39 goals conceded was the sort of joint third. Uh, best in the Premier League at the moment. I've actually uh, I've got Kepper in my team in terms of my sort of big at the back setup. He's obviously um, nailed on goalkeeper. He's 5.5 million. So he's a little bit cheaper way to get a premium goalkeeper. And he, yeah, he fits fits quite nicely teasing my team I think Chelsea in general is sort of it's, it's very interesting this year it's a sort of exceptional case of there's usually a sort of flying circus of transfer money flying around isn't there but Roman's uh, not allowed to spend money this summer but what's Latin for Roman because he's still managed to secure Kovacic's services for last year and also made the, the shrewd acquisition of Christian Pulisic who we'll talk about but yeah with Hazard out of the picture it really is a season of bargain options for Chelsea with the sort of the highest value player that you could buy for Chelsea being 7.5 million. It's just ridiculous, isn't it? It's, it's only a way for Finn Mint in your budget to buy a Chelsea player. I mean, you've got Kepper at the moment. 
understand that. 14 clean sheets in 36 games last season. But worryingly, his save percentage was less than the likes of Foster and Rui Patricio. And he also narrowly beat out uh, Sergio Rico at 76.7%. So, yeah, I don't know. Under Lampard Derby, actually, last season, were pretty solid at home. Didn't see very much at all. So 0.88 goals per game, uh, which isn't very far from Chelsea. 0.84 per game and first in clean sheets. In terms of that defence, I think that's where we should be looking because now the value seems to be gone from the front line, but that defence is still kind of composed. It's really interesting to see what what will happen there. So I looked at the data. I was surprised to see that Alonso was still second for shots overall. Though Doc's 46 shots were uh, garnished by the fact that 40 of those shots were in the box versus Alonso's 25. Uh, but Asis Alonso uh, kind of came to be last season, didn't he? He scored far fewer goals, uh, two down from seven and six the years before, but assisted eight times alongside banking 14 clean sheets, which is pretty decent. It'd be interesting to see if uh, Lamps fancies Alonso or whether it's going to be all about Halmieri there. We just, we just don't know. No, we don't at this stage. And obviously, I've always been a big fan of Alonso's. Um, and as you said, his attacking stats, who we've quoted many times on this pod before, have always been brilliant and really high. I think Chelsea fans obviously never been a fan of Alonso because they actually watch the football and see the amount of defensive mistakes that he tends to make and sort of being caught out of position all the time. But from a sort of FPL perspective, we're, um, we, we, we enjoy um, Alonso and when he gives us those attacking returns, we, we really enjoy it. But um, he always starts quite strongly. I remember last season, no one had him in his team and then in game week two, he scored that 16-point return, I think it was, which everyone sort of rushed to get him in after that. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with him, certainly, and if he can nail down that left-back slot ahead of Emerson. But in the centre of defence, uh, David Luiz actually ended up being the top scorer for uh, Chelsea in that defence. And 64 points he secured. He's definitely an option at only six million or Aspilicator, who's also the club captain and seems to have that right back slot nailed down. Alonso actually scored more points last season than Aspilicueta, who also relinquished the top BPS man spot to VVD this year. He only scored the poultry 11 uh, bonus points last season compared to 25 and 22 in prior seasons. Mm. Six assists once more, though. Uh, Alonso actually created more chances as well than Aspilicueta, with David Luiz um, down in 17 in terms of chances created. But a killer stat, Nick. Of the 17 chances David Luiz created, 11 of those were big chances. 11. That's pretty mental, actually, uh, which means that his XGI wasn't far off Alonso's at all, 5.36 to 5.96. And he was also better in the bonus. David Luiz only scored uh, three goals and got two assists uh, due to the misfiring Chelsea strikers. But that's quite something. 11 big chances created and 19 BPS too, which is uh, more than uh, as requested, actually. DFKs, I think, maybe for long shot attempts. But you know, you've got to remember that F- FPL reuser, at reuser five is good thread on, on why it doesn't matter too much. But any potential revenue stream of points counts, right? I mean, even at Aspilicueta, who may be at 6.0, the one you'd be looking at. Like a few Chelsea fans like Simon Phillips on Twitter has been saying that maybe Reese James is being asked for uh, because Dave's age may be beginning to tell. And alongside him, you know, Christensen 5.0 could be interesting. It looks like Zuma's going to stay, Samori, because Rudiger's missing. But I guess the midfield where... Um, the void being filled by Hazard is what's interesting, as Tom said, about uh, maybe Barkley, maybe somebody else stepping up. 
Yeah, definitely. I think obviously when you talk about bonus points as well, we know that Hazard was a little bit of a bonus point hog because of all the chances that he would create and his unselfishness. So if he's no longer in the side, you have to wonder where those bonus points are going to go. And they're probably going to go into those defenders like Aspilicueto and David Luiz, who you mentioned, um, obviously with their creativity last season. But yeah, um, in the midfield, obviously a number of options out there, all very cheap. I know one you want to talk about is, is Ross Barkley. And I'm not so sure about him but I know he's been in some of your FPL drafts so do you want do you want to explain that perhaps so uh, Ross Barkley is down to 6.0 I know people may be thinking that I'm uh, doing the Ministry of City Walks right now towards Barkley but I want to give a shout out to his golden years at Everton 2015-2016 and 2016-17 in those two years he scored 158 points in 15-16 8 goals and 9 assists 2016-17, he scored 144 points, five goals and 11 assists. And there's something about the Benteke's uh, about Barkley for me. He's a real falling star, all the way down to 6.0 from 7.5 million mid in his heyday. As Tom said, maybe Lamps will be the perfect man to uh, see a player in this mould and, and help him along. So we saw that with uh, Man United as well when uh, Solskjaer was helping out Rashford initially, arguably. I just want to cast your mind back to 2016 as well, when Barkley was fourth overall from attempts from midfield with 95 attempts at goal, first nine in the box. And in 2017, he was eighth as well. Just six behind Deli Ali, who we'll talk about in uh, next week's uh, NW podcast as being a bit of a fallen star. Super flimsy, I suppose. But yeah, 6.0, you're in Ponty territory and you've got the likes of Che Adams or, uh, I don't know, Glenn Murray there. But with fixtures, proven effectiveness and FPL asset, why not? Just like Barkley's a starter. Like you've got Kovacic as well and a new contract Mount, who scored nine goals, who got four assists in the championship last year. But yeah, the likes of Jorginho, Kante at 5.0, like they're not really FPL assets. You're expecting 2.5 points per game. So if you've got that extra 1.0, why not Barkley? Um, obviously, there's a lot more of interest to talk about in the wingers, like Tom mentioned about William, for example. But Barkley, Nick, surely there's got to be some love there. I'm going to have to send disagreement in your general direction there, I'm afraid. I think, um, you know, you look at Barkley, say 6 million value, but you can actually get, you know, sort of 6.5 million, you can fit the likes of Iosi Perez in your team. So, you know, just a 0.5 more and you get a proper player in as opposed to to Russ Barkley. And, you you know, you mentioned obviously uh, that season where he was particularly good, but it's sort of a long time actually in terms of FPL. These were the days when Alexis uh, Sanchez would score you 260 points. Um, And as you said, Ali did very well and Christian Benteke was a star of our teams alongside Charlie Austin. It was quite a long time, to be honest. It'll be interesting definitely to see um, how Barkley does. I know Loftus-Cheek's injured at the moment, but there's still a lot of competition for that midfield um, slot. Um, and Mount seems to be the guy that Lampard's really um, you know, promoting at the moment. Did very well at Derby and um, just secured a five-year deal. And uh, Kovacic, they've just said, spent a bucket load on. He's cost them about £30 million. And you, you think, oh yeah, Kante's surely nailed. And, and Giorgino's surely nailed in that central midfield slot. You have to wonder how Barkley fits in. And it was sort of, all season last year, we saw a lot of, sort of Barkley... Um, Kovacic rotation by Sari and uh, so just for me I just I just think he's too much for rotation risk to take that chance on him at sort of Everton he was sort of he was a talisman at Everton he was um, well apart from perhaps Lukaku he played with a lot of freedom in an attacking central role and I just don't think uh, Lampard's going to trust him with that same amount of freedom and expect him to graft more defensively um, so for me I think Giorgino of those sort of central midfielders he's the one I'm actually more interested in seems to be now perhaps on penalties and uh you know, only costing five million. So that's perhaps where I would spend my money. 
yeah, should we move on to sort of the more attacking uh, Chelsea assets? I, I looked at a little bit of William, Pedro and, and Pulisic. There's a little bit of analysis of those guys. So last season, Pedro had perhaps the most attacking threat. Um, he had eight goals compared to William's three. Uh, William has sort of set-piece threat from corners and free kicks, managed seven assists uh, from Pedro's too and with um, the set pieces and um, you know Vizio is obviously found of William you might see with no hazards um, William playing a more prominent role you know in terms of the set pieces but I think actually the one I was most interested in when I sort of did the analysis was Pulisic so Pulisic only played 924 minutes last season made it very hard to do a proper prospect and the prospects on him but um, he managed four goals and four assists in that time so that's eight attacking returns in terms of attacking returns that was um, an attacking return every 115.5 minutes of Pulisic compared to William's 209.1 minutes per attacking return and Pedro's 176.8 minutes per attacking return. So Pulisic, in the, in the limited game time he got, he was actually the most attacking of all those players. And he's done very well over the summer in the Gold Cup for USA, scoring three goals and three assists, where he was supposedly playing sort of a playmaker role in front of a sort of midfield trio. The other guys are over 30. Pulisic only 20 years old. I think Pulisic perhaps where you're going to see um, all the attacking points coming. And, you know, likes of Williams really never hit um, FPL stardom, has he? In sort of six years at Chelsea, he's never scored more than 135 points, which isn't particularly impressive, is it? No, definitely not. I think Willian is definitely, sorry, Tom, but a bit of a B-grade player. Um, even in that year that Tom cited when Has was a bit quieter, he only got five goals and 10 assists, and he's going to average you about 115, 120 points a season. Last season, he was fifth chance created, 78, 90 fewer than Has, still right, top 20 for assists, but he seems to average about 75 chances created. And what's really depressing is Willian's understats, so 4.35 XG, 1.35 on the XA, that was really close to actually what he achieved. He's a perennial kind of okay sort of player. Uh, Pedro as well, nine goals, 10 assists, 2016, 17, 162 points. Did he overperform them? I mean, understat again says he should have got five assists and five goals. He's older now again. Pulisic, um, yeah, very interesting. We looked at um, his prospects and prospects and actually got rid of that season and excited. He had 182 take-ons the year before before he got pushed up by Jaden Sancho, but only won 77 of them. So he's not the hazard replacement fully formed. In contrast, that 77 dribbles complete by Pulisic has a complete 137 last season. I'm still shocked he's 20, but he needs some end product like XG of 5.48, XA of 5.3 in 2017-18. Wasn't far off what he actually achieved. So he needs to produce or he becomes another, another Willian. Uh, the striker, though, is interesting. Up in the air, but 7.0, as you mentioned earlier on, could be an amazing value. Uh, we probably think the Giroud, Batshuayi and Tammy are all going to be Price the same, who knows? Um, but yeah, I guess the, the strikers are where there's some vague interest. Yeah, definitely. But I think it's hard to really assess um, them as prospects because we just don't know which one's going to play at this moment in time. Two of them haven't even been priced, which which makes it a bit of a challenge to see, sort of support for analysis. Obviously, you mentioned Abraham um, when we talked about Aston Villa and his prolificity in the um, championship um, when he was at Bristol City as well. But when he was at Swansea, he never really hit the ground running, did he? So um, it'll be interesting to see how he adapts and makes a step up. That's why he was quite a hacking at Crystal Palace and always 
you know, looks good, but um, again, not too much end product. And Olivia Giroud, sort of a historical hero for yourselves at Arsenal, now donning blue and winning the Europa League. We don't know at the moment in terms of Giroud if he's nailed on, but if he is nailed on, a seven million forward at Chelsea of Giroud's stature would certainly be um, a decent selection. Yeah, certainly. I mean, uh, Giroud's uh, FPL, Kylie, sexy man. Uh, if he plays over 1,500 minutes, he's on for about 150 points as per his time as Arsenal's main man. Averages about 15 goals per season. He's not always been the last of day, Stefan Gibosh. At 7.0, he could be great value. I mean, you mentioned about Shuai, um, obviously not that great. Five goals in every game for Palace. One goal and 15 for Valencia. You'd be hoping that he captures his form at Marseille when he scored the 17 goals and nine assists in the season when he moved to Chelsea after that. But I just don't know. I think it's, it's, it's good to wait and watch for Chelsea. I think they'll be very good for our game week three, two, three transfers. But in the beginning, we've got to just see how they set up. Maybe pre season will help us. But overall, I think that it's really a watch and wait as much as uh, I like Barkley as a bit of a devilish punt there. Um, I, I don't think taking punts is necessarily the meaning of life in terms of my FPL anymore. Okay, let's take a break there and we'll be back very soon with Crystal Palace. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? So we're back and it's time to speak about Palace. They start with a bit of a mixed bag. Everton at home, Sheffield's nice to the way, man nice to the way. Aston Villa at home, which is good, and then Spurs away. And they were much better away than at home last year in terms of the average goals conceded. And uh, they scored 51 goals and conceded 53. However, they were a decent source of FPL points last season. They actually scored more overall than Manchester United. Uh, 1587 to 1544. 43 more than the Red Devils to end up in seven. As a team, that's more points scored than the likes of Wolves, Leicester, Bournemouth, which is very surprising. They're stubbornly mid-table in all of the team measures, uh, defensive, offensive. But one thing they're very, very high on is penalty. So last season, they got 10 penalties. The season before, they got 10 more. Uh, 20 goals for Mili Vajovic, uh, 100 points as a gimme uh, for Mili, basically. Wow. But with Zahar potentially leaving, it remains to be seen what sort of palace we'll see. Uh, Zahar last season, for example, actually overcame Raheem Sterling to win fancy assists for the first time in three years. He got six of them, whereas Raheem Sterling only got five, and a few of them were recorded on the final day. It's an interesting one, Palace, because I think there's a, there's, there's Millie, who many people can get with VAR, and there's Zaha hanging around, and there's also Christian uh, Benteke at 6.0, Nick, who, much like a Barkley, I want to speak about just a little bit. What's your view on Palace? So I think Palace, so yeah, they're definitely an interesting case. They definitely, I think they outperformed in terms of FPL points compared to what we would have expected from them. And I think that was partly due to the number of penalties they won and also the number of clean sheets. They only conceded two less goals than Arsenal, but they had five more clean sheets. I think just defensively, they're very solid last year. But I think that was also largely thanks to Wan-Bissaka's heroics when he won 130 tackles, which is more than any other defender sort of 92.9 percent of his tackles he won and obviously Manchester United have snapped him up and you, you look at the backup options um you sort of Ward and, and Kelly and usually see perhaps there's not that much talent there in comparison to Wan Bissaka so I think in that respect they're going to perhaps struggle a little bit more defensively next season without him Kelly at four million perhaps he's going to start but with the sort of Tompkins and Sacco's injury statuses I just I just can't see them keeping clean sheets with the likes of um Kelly and defense I, I think I remember a couple of 
course, he's going to be sort of 3.9 million. He's constantly getting me minus ones and zeros <laughs> week in, week out. There is one Palace defender, a prominent one we always like to talk about, is Patrick Van Anholt, sort of 5.5. It's a very attacking defender. Only had one goal attempt, less than Doherty last season, so with 45, which is the same amount as Alonso's. He scored three goals as well, actually, in the, in the last five years. Van Anholt has been in the top five defenders for goal attempts. So he's always got a chance or a goal in him, regardless of whether he's playing for Palace or Sunderland. He gets attacked. A little bit of potential there. And then game week 14 to 21, Palace have um, a fantastic run of fixtures. Yeah, certainly. I mean, it's a shame that Guaita was bumped to 5.0. Obviously, there's some rotation left with Wayne. Don't mention the war, Hennessy. Um, but I mean, he played 20 games last season, had a higher save percentage than the likes of Fabianski and De Gea. So definitely something about him. As you mentioned, Juan Bissaka losing him is going to be massive. He won uh, 92.9% of his tackles and only one man can better those numbers amongst players who played more than 3,000 minutes, who is Virgil van Dijk. Um, he won 38 of all of his 38 tackles last season, which is pretty ridiculous. But anyway, yeah, PVA, a perennial threat, as you mentioned, he was joint tackle for defenders last season for shots. And he's also in the top five for SGI amongst current Premier League defenders. Uh, Sean Morrison obviously drops out now, but he was third last season. However, it should be always put in context. So um, that XGI means that he's, you're only looking at six involvements through the whole course of the season, which isn't that good, really, for 5.5 million. Moving forward, I mean, I mentioned million midfield. So last season, obviously, it was, it was absolutely ridiculous how penalties he scored. He scored 24 goals in the Premier League. Uh, he's the second highest scoring Serb ever. Uh, behind Savo Milosevic of Havilla, who scored 29 goals in it. I don't know if you remember him from uh, the old Premier Stickers days. But he uh, he scored 17 goals, Millie from Penns. 10 goals and 7 goals over the last two seasons. And he scored three from set pieces as well. So 20 of his 24 goals in the Premier League have been from dead balls. 83%. Pretty crazy, <laughs> really. I mean, Zaha, we don't know where he's going to be, but it's worth talking about him quickly in isolation. He got more penball touches than any other forward last year, 237. But now he's a midfielder again. He's in the top four. Dwarfed by the massive 222 by Mo Salah, 228 by Sterling. And uh, he was just free behind Eden Hazard, which is pretty good, actually. Uh, so for 7.0, he could be really, really interesting. You have the likes of MacArthur, Townsend, and Schlupp in that midfield, who not really worth mentioning at all. But I guess moving forward, you've got Wickham before Benteke at 6.0. So there's a, a few things to mention there. But the midfield and the tactic, what are your views? Zaha is perhaps the, uh, the most exciting of all the prospects. I know Townsend at 6 million has caught a few people's eye because of his price for He was 14th highest for goal attempts with midfield. But as you may have guessed, Tom, as you always like to talk, say about Townsend, his accuracy was pretty damn poor. So, yeah, not much end product from Townsend. As I said, Zaha um, reclassified as a midfielder without a price hike, much like Iosi Perez. Seems like a little bit of a mistake, to be honest, but from a value perspective and FPL managers like myself, you know, it's, it's quite exciting um, to look at his price and, and see what he would have scored. If he was a midfielder last season, he, he would have scored 164 points, which is more than the likes of Ericsson, uh, Felipe Anderson, who's on the same sort of price as him, and Hung um, Min Son as well. So um, only two less than his uh, teammate Milojevic, who was also 7 million. But I think uh, for me, between Milojevic and Zaha, Zaha would be the one that I would go for. Mili's stats obviously rely quite heavily on Zaha's stats, and Zaha's the sort of more attacking player would be the one that I would pick. But uh, yeah, I think obviously you want to 
talk briefly about the, the forward line as well and uh, not having batsman will um, will hurt them but maybe Ben Teke can step up he only had one goal and one assist last season for the six million man but yeah you mentioned the sort of historical seasons the heady days of 16-17 where he scored 15 goals and got two assists yeah certainly I mean you've got Wickham first 4.5 yep. he's been injured for absolutely ages but it looks like he's getting time in pre-season for whatever that means so is Alexandra Sorloff of uh, Hell Cheetah's fame but Benteke, 6.0, a big falling star, literally and metaphorically, in that 2016-17 season, as you mentioned, Nick, uh, 136 points from those uh, 15 goals and two assists. Also at Palace for Aston Villa as well, back in the day. Uh, now priced at 6.0, prime for your falling star analysis, Nick. But back in that season in question, when he started 7.5 in 2016-17, he was really close to what we think that maybe Haller, uh, who's just joined West Ham, will be. That year, Tekkers, as the target man, hit 95 of his 105 attempts, 90% of his shots from inside the box, which works out at 2.7 shots per game, roughly. So if we were filtering on the stats and it was the start of the 2017-18 season, we may be looking at Benteke and thinking he could actually do something. Obviously, Everton, Sheffield United and Man United, the first three aren't very good. But four against his old club, Aston Villa, if we're always looking at the bright side of life, I think that he should actually be one to rediscover uh, throughout the course of this year. I'm not sure I'll start with him, but he's definitely one I'm going to have an eye on. And I think he's one that's going to be forgotten as well by a lot of people. So Benteke and Barkley then, Tom. <laughs> let's let's move on to to Everton, shall we? Uh, <laughs> oh God. So uh, yeah, so Everton obviously they have a great fixture run um, all the way actually up to game week fifteen, uh, where they only play two of the top six uh, during that period, and then they have a sort of really horrible sort of batch of fixtures after that. But at the beginning of the season, a lot of people doubling up, like yourself, I think, um, on Everton, and good good reason. Uh, sort of Palace away, Watford home, Aston Villa away. Wolves home, Bournemouth away, Sheffield United home. That's a fantastic set of six opening fixtures. And um, if we start, though, in sort of the back line, we know obviously Pickford's had a bit of a bump to uh, 5.5 million. And that does sort of put me a little bit, to be honest, in terms of Pickford. He's sort of the same price as the likes of Kepper. I think the same price as De Gea. Um, you know, he's, he's a little bit more expensive this season, Pickford. So, um, you know, perhaps not. Sort of first player to mention, but then there's sort of defence. I think um, there's a bit of a debate that's ongoing uh, between sort of Luca Dean and, and Seamus Coleman. And uh, I think for me and uh, yourself, I think we're, we're big fans of Luca, aren't we? Um, at six million. And I've, I've also tweeted about why I think he's a brilliant must own FPL pick this season. Luca Dean, that was a great piece put together actually by Abu Bakr Sadiq on Twitter. So 71 chances created, just 28 off of Madison, who we'll speak about in a bit, who got a leading chance created towards 99, which was 20 more than Robertson in just in just under 3,000 minutes. Uh, 280 crosses as well, but that 71 chances created, he got the second most chance created for any defender ever. Leighton Baines, his predecessor, actually had the most chance created ever in 2013-14 with 90, which is mental. And uh, Leighton Baines, actually, the year after 2014-15, was third with 70 chances created. But yeah, Luca Dean for the time being is, is very, very good. There's the set-pieces argument, but again, that great friend by uh, Reuse of Five showed that Dean has one of the best corner conversion rates, but only a single assist from a total of 89 corners. That being said, he hasn't left my team since game week one. And uh, Coleman is one being pushed by a lot of other people. He's 0.5 million cheaper. And by the basic value metric that's being used by a lot of accounts, um, that seems to display that Coleman edges it. 
I get that. But it seems like he's become a bit of a cool Salibra rather than a uh, logical look at the two players in comparison. Purely by looking at it. a great point by our friend Bernardo knows Maldonado is that if both are priced the same, I don't think anybody is going to be looking up the stats to uh, support Coleman. A really good point to look at is our value calculations, which show that Coleman appeared in 75% of the available time, Dean at 87% of the available time, Dean got 158 points, Coleman got 125 points, taking appearance out 68 for Coleman, 90 for Dean, Coleman created a lot of big chances, 6, Dean created 11. But Dean is 13 points per million compared to 9.25 per million for Coleman. Like I can see the argument, like there's best quality chances created by Coleman, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, but Dean's uh, probably better attuned to the Premier League right now. And I think there's perhaps some confirmation bias in play uh, with people looking at that big chance stat and extrapolating that to prove a point. Uh, as Matt said, if Coleman and Dean were the same price, I don't think people would make him that same argument. But I think that Dean probably is a better source for points uh, than Coleman over the course of the season, especially with Zuma leaving. Where it becomes interesting, obviously, is if I can say I'm going to save that 0.5 from Dean to Coleman. I think that Dean just provides those sort of different streams of points revenue that Coleman doesn't. Like looking at numbers over the course of the season is a bit of a force of nature. And I think that he definitely is worth that 6.0, especially if we think, well, Everton might concede more goals just about Zuma's not there anymore. Yeah, I think you've, you've made quite a strong case there. So I'm not going to add any more to um, why we, we both think that Luca Dean is, is the best pick in that Everton back line. Obviously, you mentioned Zuma uh, leaving or, or not being re signed, which probably potentially could do it, give it a little bit of a dent in terms of their chances of clean sheets. Uh, so it'll be very interesting to see if uh, Yeri Mina can stay fit and act as a suitable partner for Michael Keane in that back line. Um, and I know they've secured the likes of um, Andre Gomez's surfaces, which uh, should help in terms of the uh, the players in front of the defence. But if we move on and, and move forward, uh, sort of the midfielders, um, it's, it's the old sort of Gilfie Richarlison debate. It's another debate, isn't it, in terms of who's the best Everton midfielder. Um, this time round, they're both the same price, so they're both eight million. I don't. It is a, it's a tough one actually looking at these guys. I know you're, you're a big fan of Siggy. I also owned Siggy at the beginning of the season. This is a bit of sort of you know personal bias, but you know Richarlison was the dominant force, wasn't he? Well, Sigerson didn't do too much, and then I got Richarlison in. He decided to headbutt a Bournemouth player. It was like Mark <laughs> Pugh or Harry Arter or Adam Smith, one of them. You know, I can't remember. You know, they've all got similar names, haven't they? <laughs> <laughs> or Simon Francis, one of the guys, uh, got headbutted and uh, Richardson got himself sent off. Um, give me a total points tally of minus two, but... Richarlison seems to be that sort of anti-Iosi Perez, doesn't he? He sort of always starts strong. But um, yeah, in terms of the key stats, Sigerson just wins out sort of 55% against 45%, six plus on the key stats versus plus four for Richarlison. They've got sort of very similar XGs of 0.3 in terms of penalty area touches, which um, unsurprisingly just edges Sigerson. He's sort of 4.4 versus 2.8. And Richard is actually more likely to score um, with um, 32.3 minutes per attempt compared to Sigerson's 36.4. But Sigerson um, had the better shot accuracy. And when it came to chances created, Sigerson was far superior with 43 minutes per chance compared to the selfish Richarlison's 128 minutes per chance. And with Sigerson being on the set pieces and penalties, although he missed a couple, I think he's perhaps 
the favoured option personally for myself and I think you're, you're inclined to agree with that as well yeah certainly I think Richardson as you mentioned always starts strong so the last season a brace on opening day another the next so Phil in accounting who only looked at his FPL team uh, up until game week three would have had uh, Richardson in there because he would have brought them in the first big bandwagon of last year at 6.5 uh, Milver's blue-eyed boy scored 153 points First in goals and three assists last season and had the inevitable drop-off after Christmas. So he only scored three goals in the last 10. Whereas Siggy was consistent. Siggy is the ideal zombie league of inclusion. So Siggy last season, first in goals, six assists, his most goals ever, his most points ever, 182, which beats his previous best in Swansea when he was doing heroics, 181. In his favourite number 10 role in the settled team, in the FPL team of the year as well, Siggy, what's not to love? It feels like an either or. And as you mentioned with the stats, Siggy, similar number of attempts. Richardson more touched in the box and more shots in the box. But Siggy created more. His XA was better. And actually, his XGOP, so his open play, expected goals, was actually not far off Richardson's at all. 6.14 uh, for Siggy versus 6.44 for the Brazilian. So I think Siggy offers more overall. Like You've always got the chance of Siggy creating something. It's just obviously weighing that up against the fact that Richardson gets going a lot sooner. But I think there's a you know, full rest for Siggy versus Richardson in the Copper America. I, I do quite like the Icelander. Up front, uh, we've got the DCL DLC situation. Are you going to have him in for a second season? Same number of attempts as Glenn Murray slash Jose Perez, who's now midfielder. But is DCL 6.0 someone you're interested in, Nick? In terms of the forward line, you have to consider Dominic Calvert-Lewin at 6 million. That's pretty good value. I mean, he hasn't hit the ground yet in the Premier League. Six goals, five assists, um, 92 points in total. Wasn't sort of a fantastic output, uh, considering the amount of minutes he was given last season. I know Everton are quite heavily linked to various forwards in the transfer window, like the likes of Diego Costa, I heard rumours about. So I think with um, with Calvert-Lewin, you know, I think at 6 million, you're looking at the likes of Glenn Murray, Che Adams, there's a few options out there, but I think mean, Calvert Lewin definitely has to be in your thoughts because he's, he's very good value. But you know, he's sort of a make weight in your team, really, isn't he? Rather than sort of the leading man at this moment in time, especially considering Everton's fixtures, you do have to consider him. The key concern with Calvert Lewin is that his XGI was very low last year, so 6.58, which is the same as bloody Shane Long or Andre Gray. Surely a striker has to come in because I'm not sure DCL is quite the man to put away the chances created by Sig and Dig. But 6.0 may be a good default if you're shopping around down there for some reason. All right, uh, let's take a quick break there, Nick, and then we'll move on to the final two, Leicester and Liverpool. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? So we're back and it's time to talk about Leicester. They're a team that's sort of generating a little bit of excitement, a little bit of buzz at the moment, actually, in terms of what Brendan Rodgers is doing at the club and the players that are bringing in. You know, they're sort of looking very attacking and, you know, um, a lot of threats. But um, if we start perhaps at the defence, there's obviously um, sort of a lot of rumour about Maguire moving, which is obviously um, a little bit of a concern for them. But you, you know that they've got um, someone lined up to spend that money on the likes of Lewis Dunk or um, Tarko, who we mentioned. It's interesting to see what happens there, but could result in a nicer way into that defence, depending on who they sign. So a little bit up in the air. We won't spend too much time sort of debating who joins or whatnot. Talking about the fullbacks, perhaps. Uh, Ricardo Pereira, six million, seems a little bit expensive when that price uh, was announced. Uh, maybe Ben Chilwell at 5.5 would be the, uh, the preferred attacking Leicester defender. 
Wing Commander Chilwell is probably the one to be looking at there. Uh, but the Leicester defence generally without Maguire, it's, it's an open question, isn't it? So, you know, last year, they're right. It's 51 goals scored, 48 conceded. But I think Brendan Rodgers coming in is actually really interesting. So in the final 19 games, they made a chance every uh, 6.3 minutes versus one every eight minutes under Puel in the first 19. Uh, it's around the likes of Huddersfield. Um, and, and that really shows the Bodger effect. And I think the, the talisman star, uh, Jamie Vardy, is worth talking about quickly, Nick, unfortunately. Uh, normally, I wouldn't be speaking about him and I wouldn't be expecting the Harris Inquisition, but uh, I think I've got to uh, try to reconcile with the fact that Jamie Vardy's stats are really, really good in talisman theory. For example, the exit velocity last season, um, which I looked at in Talisman Theory article, shows that since the March data, he actually upped his total of personal points, i.e. points about appearance, from 74 to 110, which is a massive 48.65% percentage uh, points added. Uh, it's obviously assisted by Tiedemann's a lot or whatever. Vardy is one of those players that actually perennially flies under the radar, so Little known facts, he's actually a bonus hog. He scored the most bonus points over the last two seasons of any other player. 31 last year, 28 points the season before. That's because, linking to the second fact, he's unlike Mo Salah. He doesn't take very many shots and he's very accurate when he does. So he doesn't get penalised by the bonus point system when he does take those shots. It's a 48% accuracy from 74 shots last season which translates into a really decent XG. He's the second highest for forwards, higher than Kun Aguero. And his XGI is actually inferred, uh, with Kun overtaking slightly on XA. And although it's a bit of an awkward price at 9.0, I think that the, um, the talisman an- analysis alone showed me he was definitely worth considering, even if the value analysis might be pointing me in another direction. Yeah, it sounds like Rodgers can release Vardy. But for me, I think for my concern with Vardy is he is the most expensive option in that Leicester team. He's, he's £9 million. Um, compared to Iosi Perez being £6.5 million. So if you don't go with Perez and you want Vardy, you're, you're basically suggesting that he's worth stumping an extra £2.5 million, as well as saying, actually, I'm also happy to sacrifice that extra goal and extra clean sheet points because I'm content and believe that Vardy can output Perez that much um, last season Perez um, if he was a midfielder would have got 164 points versus Vardy's 174 so I don't think that Vardy was the value for money over Perez last season considering he only got 10 more points I mean Vardy also turns 33 this season so you do have to wonder if his miniature can be managed a little bit more maybe I don't know but that being said I do understand the appeal of um, people that bringing in a player like Vardy who um, is likely to get you 18-plus goals, and we know that he is definitely capable of achieving that. Yeah, I think that Perez actually is the the choice, really, in that midfield triumvirate of Tielemans, Maddie, and Perez. Um, um, Perez would have been the third um, highest-value player in the Leicester team, and um, pushing out uh, Madison, actually, if he'd have joined last season and played last season for them with the numbers. And if we recalculate those numbers to include the uh, midfield points of Perez, which we didn't do because of the ifs and buts, uh, Perez would probably have been the second best value player for the Leicester team, which is pretty crazy. So I think that's our endorsement of Perez, but um, there's obviously your uh, thread on this, Nick, um, which we're hoping doesn't turn into a Neil Murray-esque uh, Ricardo Pereira thread. But looking at uh, Tiedemans and Maddy actually is quite interesting because um, 
over the course of the last season, I did a little bit of a comparison on a per-game basis, um, just, just because Tielemans played less time than Madison, of course. Uh, Tielemans had a slightly worse XG and XA. We had more attempts, more on target, and made more through balls than Maddie per game as well. Uh, Maddie was a winner on chance creation and penbox touches. But is Maddie worth the extra 0.5? Like, from watching them, Tielemans' all-action style, I actually quite like I'm not too averse owning him over Madison, to be honest, but I just think that, think that Perez as the potential like shadow striker offers you a little bit more, doesn't he? Just because that basically fills the role of that kind of 6.5 budget midfield talisman spot in your roster who has a double-digit return in his arsenal. For me, I think Perez is, is my preferred option. No, I do understand that Madison and Tiedemann, in, in, in looking at them sort of alone and isolated, um, they're... Uh, are actually really good FPL picks in, in their own right, to be honest. You know, like Tielemann, he um, had this fantastic 4.8 um, points per game after joining Leicester, which was one of the highest amongst all midfielders last season, um, having scored three goals and five assists. Madison, as you mentioned earlier in the pod, 99 chances created more than any other player last season. So both of them are, are really good picks in their, in their own right. And uh, I certainly can understand the appeal of having either of those guys in your team. And... Um, I'm not necessarily thinking that Leicester are worth doubling up on, but there's certainly um, a plethora of options in terms of that that front line. I mean, Leicester's fixtures, to be honest, they aren't, aren't that great, to be honest. So, you know, maybe later on in the season, we will see chances for doubles up, perhaps um, sort of come game week nine. But, you know, they open up with Wolves, Chelsea, Sheffield United, Bournemouth, United Spurs. So it's just sort of a bit of a mixed bag, I guess. But I'm still got a sort of backing IOC's Paris's um, corner at this moment in time uh, through hell or high water, it seems, um, as my preferred option. But, you know, there's a, there are other options out there, I guess. Perez might not necessarily be nailed on. It's a little bit of a concern. Um, with the likes of Harvey Barnes, who somehow got the six million price tag despite only scoring one goal last season, much to our frustration. And uh, Demari Gray, who surprisingly only got the 5.5 million price tag, actually making him a pretty good value pick, to be honest, um, with his four goals and one assist last season. Yeah, if he plays for now, Perez there. No, I get that. I get that. I just get the feeling that um, that tough start screams Vardy. It's just whether the uh, the value and what you lose elsewhere is worth that kind of trade-off. Um, I, I just don't know about that. And it's something that we're thinking about over the course of the uh, preseason. So, final team is Liverpool, Nick. Uh, the big team that we're going to talk about today, actually, I think. Uh, let's not count Arsenal in that. Let's not count Chelsea in that. The first of the top four. 2.89 goals per game uh, last season at home. 0.53 conceded. 1.79 goals away last season. 0.63 conceded. And they won nine more points than Man City in the FPL context last season. So they topped it for the first time ever. Um, in terms of the attacking and defensive measures, they were always second to City. So they took 100 fewer shots than City. Uh, Chelsea actually beat them out as well, uh, but only scored six fewer goals. And it's the same old story, isn't it, with them, except that our value work has shown that defence is absolutely ridiculous value, isn't it? Yeah, I think with Liverpool, we've talked so much about them on, on previous pods that we're not going to sort of spend another hour discussing Liverpool at this late stage of this pod. But, you know, needless to say, we're both huge fans of, of Liverpool and, and tri- tripling up 
um, not real fans, let's say FPL fans, just to clarify. And both will be trickling up on them um, at the start of this season. Um, obviously, they start the season in Norwich at home, which uh, brings back many memories of Luis Suarez, who scored three hat-tricks against the Canaries and got 12 goals and six appearances. So it'll be uh, interesting to see if uh, the likes of Mo Salah can repeat Suarez is heroics. And then after that, it's Southampton, Arsenal, Burnley, Newcastle. So, you know, a really fantastic run of fixtures at the start of the season. Uh, meaning that, you know, a lot of excitement about Liverpool in, in terms of FPL. And yeah, the defence obviously was amazing last season with their 21 clean sheets. And especially, um, you know, Van Dijk, Alexander-Arnold and Robertson. Robertson getting 213 points, just unheard of for a defender, you know, outscoring all forwards in the game. It was just just incredible season for him. And, you know, um, Alexander-Arnold shattering the uh, assist record with, with 13 assists. And, uh, you know, we, we want to see more of the same. They're priced up, obviously, this season, um, thanks to last season and what they did. But, you know, I thought the FPL could have been, you know, really hard on us and made Robertson 8 million and TAA 8 million and, you know, give us some really tough decisions to make in terms of can we really afford to put that much in our back line. But, I think a seven million from our sort of budget value analysis still means that there are you know fantastic bargain picks. You're talking about a player that scored over two hundred points, only costing seven million. You know what's what's not to love in that? And uh, sort of uh, yeah, for me, I'm I'm happy to double up on on the Liverpool defence. Um, it's worth worth mentioning, of course, before, before you speak about Joe Gomez as well. Potential cheaper way into that back line, but it's it's all about Robbo and TAA. Allison uh, is unfortunate to miss out. Um, he play- he's actually played 5,130 minutes over 57 matches um, in the 2018-19 season, which only ended the other day. Absolutely crazy, really. Um, Virgil van Dijk is the value king. Um, we looked at the data for our upcoming value piece, which will release next Friday. And van Dijk really is, um, by being 0.5 cheaper than TA and Robbo, the value king um, over the course of it, hit the 200 points at just six last season. Really, really crazy. However, um, I, I think I can understand why people are looking at VVD, 0.5 cheaper over the course of the season, scored more than TAAs and scored very close to Robbo. Uh, the fact is that week to week, the ceiling for TA and Robbo is a little bit higher. The floor is higher from DVD over the course of the season, but week to week, TA and Robbo are higher than that, uh, which means that I'm favouring those two, and I can always uh, go down 0.5 and buy Virgil van Dijk if I'm in trouble. Um, but I think that TAA and Robbo are probably the two best defenders, it looks like, in terms of a, a clean sheet motivation and also in terms of attacking potential. Obviously, you've got the likes of Laporte and David Luiz, as mentioned, but those two are absolutely crazy. And I think just qualitatively as well, like watching them play against weaker teams, like not having either of those two players is so painful. That I think that owning both of them is, is really, really important. In the midfield, Salah, can't see past him, can we, Nick? No, you can't see past Mo Salah. And you're obviously talking about players that had long seasons in Allison's and Sadio Mane season only just finished two days ago, unbelievably, in the uh, African Cup of Nations, going all the way to the final there with uh, Senegal and, and unfortunately losing as well. And uh, I think um, this season, Mane's price has gone up, obviously. Um, so it's only the, the one million between Mane and Salah. And uh, I just think it's all about Mo for me personally. Obviously, Mane ended up matching Salah as well in terms of goals. We both scored 22 goals last season. But 
I don't think that Mane will necessarily start the season as well, which is a little bit of a concern, obviously, for Liverpool. So I think for me, it's all about Mo. He's going to be the auto-captain for game week one, and he's he's the must-own player, isn't he? Yeah, definitely. I mean, if Mane was fit, there'd be an argument, but the XG and the XGI shows Mane massively outperforming to get to his 22 goals last season only a few assists three of which two were FPL assists and Salah basically matched his expected output with that 22 goals if we're to see a regression with Salah it was last season um, so the stellar 300 plus points in the first year where he scored one percent of FPL points regressed back to where he was but to score 250 points per season uh, like that's basically an auto buy uh, and my car, I can't really see beyond that. And I think that that's basically the TLDR of Liverpool, isn't it? That our interest is basically all about the fullbacks, maybe Van Dijk and, and Salah for now. Um, I know, for example, that BNM uh, Matt is very big on Firmino. Um, did you know, Nick, that in the second half of last season, so mostly past Bodger being in charge at Leicester, Firmino had a better XG per minute than Vardy and a much better XA per minute than Vardy. The difference was that Firmino played way less as the season wore on. Maybe we'll see next season that the likes of Origi and Firmino are going to be involved with it. I can't really see past them. And we know all of this. You all know all of this. It's all very, very big stuff. Like Salah, especially with Mane finishing the Acon not very long ago, means that Salah is the standout option for game week one. Two Liverpool defenders, whether you choose Van Dijk or choose the two fullback, is basically nailed on for game week one. And basically all we're going to do is hope for that Salah brace and we're all going to hold each other. When Timu Puki thinks now something could be different, I'm going to score a last-minute consolation to make it 4-1. It's a fitting one to end on, isn't it? Because I think we all know where we stand on that one compared to with the rest of the research we've done. It's just the case of which Liverpool we're going to get, how are we going to buy into the Red Roulette. Exactly. I think we're all either going to be suffering or celebrating together on, on Friday night. Um, we're all likely to be tripled up. Obviously, a few people won't be because they'll be going for differential picks, which is um, their choice. But I think our strong suggestion is go with Liverpool and you know their, their stats really uh, make a big statement there. OK, and that rounds off the first teams. God, how long have we been recording now? A long time. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that's it. I know you're all individuals. The point of this is to present our analysis. And it's up to you to decide what to do with that data. Remember in the pod we have Neil Murray and how you're going to work out how that's applying to your decisions at the game we won. Point of housekeeping, which is to say thank you very much for those who came along to the meetup 13th of July. I think we have 50 people, didn't we, Nick, in total? It's steadily getting uh, drunker and more incoherent throughout the evening. Well, I stayed sober for hours. It was very interesting to see the disintegration of individuals such as yourself, Nick. Yeah, it was good fun. Thanks for all those that came to the meeting. It was a uh, yeah, it was a really good fun night. And yeah, it's always great to to meet the the guys in the community and everyone. And yeah, we look forward to doing more meetings. I think we'll probably definitely do one at Christmas as well. So yeah, just to say who we are, we are who got the assist. You can find us on Twitter at wgta underscore fpl or myself at wgta underscore nick. You can find us online who got the assist dot com. As you know, we'll be posting plenty of content throughout the summer, including Tom's value piece. Make sure to like us on Facebook and listen, subscribe, Spotify, SoundCloud, or whatever you'd like. And if you want to join our leagues, the league code for our main league is EIKX03. And our zombie league is EJOS45. 
Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, there's a theme every week. Last week it was Super Mario, and we'll be keeping these on throughout the year. First few pods of the season, it's hard to kind of put them in, but over the course of the year, we'll be doing them more and more. We'll be back next week with the Enter W, yet another epic thing, and I'm guessing that both of us will be putting our notes out as a uh, publishable deliverable <laughs> after this, because we've done a lot more than you're going to be hearing. But in the meantime, I hope this is due, and we'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Sports Social Podcast Network.